If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, join me this morning. Two locations. I want you to mark two places. Go to Genesis chapter 15 and hold that. And then also Romans chapter 4 and hang on, uh, hang on to that as well. We're going to be in both places uh, briefly in Genesis, uh, but uh, it's, it's where we'll start in just a second as, as we look at a verse that's going to sound very similar to what Joe was sharing with us just a minute ago. But for us starting out, just I, I really don't have examples, and this isn't like a, a long introduction with, with all of this wonderful information that's going to change your life. Um, but do any of you ever just struggle with questions? Life questions? Why questions? What the heck questions? Anybody else besides me? Yeah, what the heck? I mean, I ask that all the time. Joe, you know, even Joe was talking about it a second ago from Sarah and Abraham's standpoint. I mean, honestly, um, I, I don't think that it's a bad thing for us to think in our terms when we consider the patriarch of the nations and his wife to be thinking they had great faith and we're going to, man, we're going to dive into that this morning. But just human nature, what the heck? You moved me here. You promised me this. And it isn't happening. What the heck? I've asked that question a few times in just the last three years. And I, I, I do. I know that all of you in life have those same questions. Why? What the heck? What did you bring me here for? What are we doing this for? Why did that happen? And I hope this morning as, as we dig in, we... I don't know that we're going to answer those life questions because I don't know that for us in our brains and in our terms, there is an answer. Because God does things and allows things to happen that in our terms make no sense. And they never will. Don't, don't, don't try to make them make sense because that's against what God may be trying to do in your life. He has an answer. And in his time, you're going to get his answer. But you've got to be patient. You've got to be patient. And you, we, I'm not pointing fingers, we, remember that a couple of weeks ago, one at you and three back at me, we've got to be patient and we've got to live in faith. We've got to live in faith. And we ask, we ask so many big questions. And as we continue in this, in our study in, in Romans, I almost said Rome, in Romans, I wish we were in Rome, it'd be cool to be studying Romans sitting in Rome. Maybe one day we'll all get to take that trip. Um, but as we continue studying in Romans, uh, just one thing, and, and uh, we have these verses on the screen, what Paul is so desperately trying to get people to understand is about our lives of faith and putting our faith in Christ and trusting Christ in all things and against the world, against the world, the gospel, the good news that we believe in. And Paul's exclamation all the way back in chapter 1, for I am not ashamed. 
in, in all the mess and all the trials and all the craziness, I am not ashamed of the good news. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for us in our faith battles, in our questions in life, that's got to be our proclamation, especially when we don't understand. Because we have the good news, and we know the answer, and we know what's ahead of us when it comes to um, our, our trust in Christ, even when we waver. And that good news is our strength. It has to be the source of our strength. And for us, we've got to make that same proclamation, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it's the only thing. Really and truly, it's the only thing in this world that we have to hold on to. I mean, we have each other. We have family and friends that we can hold on to in, in, in the world and in, in daily life. But the only truth, the only reality that we can hang on to that's never going to waver and that's never going to let us down is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And will never fail us. And Paul is really, he's been driving that home over and over and over these first three chapters that we've been through so far in, in the book together. And two weeks ago, the last time we were together, he, he really focused on faith. And it's, it's going to be... It's going to be repeated now in chapter 4 because what Paul did in chapter 3 is he reminded us and he reminded his audience that everything is accomplished through faith in Christ. And there were four things about faith. If you weren't here, uh, this would be the first time you, you've heard these if you were a review for you. But faith eliminates the pride of human effort. When we have our faith in Christ and we trust Christ alone, about us, things about us don't matter when we're trusting Christ, and it eliminates that pride in ourselves. Faith, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, faith exalts what God has done. When we truly live in faith, especially in the struggles, God gets all of the glory. God gets all of the glory. Our faith in Him exalts Him above everything. Our faith admits that we need help. In those questions, in those struggles, our faith in Christ is telling our Father, yes, I need you. I can't do this. I need you. And then the last thing, our faith, and so very important, and this, this leads us right into chapter 4, but faith is based on relationship and not performance. There is nothing that we can do to earn anything. It's about a relationship with our Father through Jesus Christ that strengthens us in, in those times. So let's, let's take a look at what this meant for Abraham because there were, there's so many questions related to Abraham that Paul is going to try to answer for his audience because Paul has been preaching about faith in Christ. And so the natural assumption is that people are asking Paul, well, what about Abraham? He didn't have faith in Christ. He didn't know Jesus Christ. How, what, how, how can you tell us that Abraham was saved? How can we know when did all of that happen? And let's, let's take a look at that because Paul does an excellent job of answering that question for us. And we'll start in Genesis chapter 15 and look at verse 6, just verse 6. 
Moses recorded for us. And when Abram, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. That's our answer, is how do we know about Abraham? How do we know Abraham was saved? When was Abraham saved? God declared him righteous when he believed God's promises. Years before, remember, years before he saw anything happen, just like Joe was sharing with us, years before he saw anything happen, God counted him as righteous because of his faith, because he believed what God said. So we're going to look at the life of Abraham, but we're also going to look at our lives today because there's there's three things that I want to show you and point out to you about these these components of faith and what what does this all mean and and I'm going to state it from the standpoint of like our, our first thing here Abraham he was justified by faith and not by works but when I say he was substitute in there we are because we're looking at the life of Abraham but we're looking at our lives as well. Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. We are justified by faith, not by works. And in Genesis 15, what we just read, what God did, what God alone did was assured Abraham. And again, re relate, this, relate this to me. Personally, relate this to yourself. God was assuring at Abraham that he, God alone, was his great reward and was the only reward that he needed. God alone was what and who Abraham needed. And Abraham, if you dig into the text, and we're not going to do a whole lot of seminary stuff this morning, but there's a couple of words I want to share with you because they're important in the understanding. It's, it told us in Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham believed God's promise. And for us, simply sometimes we read those kind of things. And, and this is, I hope you find, as you study the Bible, you find these things interesting as well. These are the things that for me make it come to life. Because we read that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. But there's more in there in that Hebrew language. The word there that's translated for us as believed is Amon. Abraham used his words. He didn't just believe in his head, which he did believe in his head, but he expressed his belief by stating Amon, which is our, the root, that's the root for our word, amen. What Abraham did when God made him the promise, Abraham said, I believe you. Again, not just a thought, but Abraham said, I believe you, I trust you, I know that you will do what you've promised me. There was, there's an assurance in what you've said, and I know, this is what Abraham is saying to God, I know I can fully depend on you. He's saying, God, I receive, I take what you say as truth, as true as secure, listen to this, because this isn't always, always necessarily true today in carpentry, I can't say that word, carpentry terms. 
But there's, there's something in the root of that. What Abraham is saying is, God, your word that I believe that I'm putting all of my faith in is as secure as a nail in wood that has a solid grip. You know, nowadays, we can pull nails out. But that's not the intent. The nail is driven into the wood to hold to hang something on, to hold something together. And Abraham is expressing to God, I believe you so much. It's just like you've driven a nail that's secure and not going to move. <clears throat> that's how much faith that I have in what you're saying. And on that statement, God declared Abraham as righteous. Doesn't that sound familiar? When we make that statement, when we say amen to God, that nail that's secure and driven in, we're telling God, God, you said it, I believe it, and that's it. And that's what Abraham was expressing in that moment. Let's look at, uh, let's look at some of the verses in chapter 4 just to kind of, kind of bring some of those thoughts together. Uh, let's start in verse, uh, verse 1 of cha Romans chapter 4. And uh, we're, this, we're, we're talking through verse 8. I'm not sure if I'm going to read it all at this point. Uh, but let's, uh, let's at least start in verse 1 and take a look. Romans 4 verse 1, Paul writes for us, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that's not God's way for the scriptures tell us, and this is from Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Nothing else because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something that they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. And then Paul quotes David from Psalm chapter 32. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared, cleared of sin. And we talked about that a couple of, of weeks ago, that acceptance of that gift that clears us and puts credits Christ's righteousness on us. Um, we're attributed with Christ's righteousness. I, when I think about this, I think in simple English terms that don't always translate well. Um, but the way I kind of think about this is like our sins are overlooked because of Christ. But I, I, don't, want, I don't want that to be a misunderstanding. That, that's, not, that's not saying that we have this free license to do whatever we want. That's, that's not what this is talking about. Um, we can't say, well, I'm covered by God's grace, so I can just do whatever. Because it doesn't matter because I'm covered. That's not the license that we're given. So that, that word overlook 
is, a, is not the best word to use to really communicate what that means. It's, it's a Greek word, and I told you we weren't going to be stuck in, in a whole lot of seminary stuff today, but another Greek word to understand, logizomai. I'm sure Joe's heard that one, but maybe nobody else in the room. Logizomai. It means what Paul is saying is that we're counted as righteous through Christ. Remember a couple of weeks ago, through the work of Christ alone. We're reckoned to be like Christ. We're attributed with Christ's righteousness. So don't think of it as overlooking so we can do anything that we want, but think of it this way. When God looks at us through our justification through Jesus Christ, our record contains, remember we talked about records, and we wouldn't talk about going to jail, but we have a record. But when through Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in Christ, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus Christ's record, his purity. He doesn't see our mess. He's not looking over it as in, we'll we'll just let that slide under the table. When he's looking at us, he sees Jesus Christ. Can you you put that in your head? Because I can't. Because I ask questions all the time. I don't understand all the time. I ask God, what the heck, all the time. Just like Abraham is... We're going to look at it in a second, and I imagine that he does. But when God looks at us, when we believe in Christ with the faith like that nail driven in wood to stay, something that we can hold on to, he, when God looks at me, he sees Jesus Christ. And that's, man, that's, that's just... It's just overwhelming for me to think about that because we do sin and we need forgiveness. And through the blood of Christ, it's there. It's it's there and it's ours and it's permanent and we can hang our hat on that nail and know that it doesn't, it doesn't go away. It doesn't change. Let's, let's keep moving ahead. Um, because I could stand and talk about that all day long. Uh, and we'd be here till 5 o'clock. But I said that he, Abraham, was justified by faith, not by works. And we're justified by faith, not by works. We're not earning a wage. There's nothing that we can try to do. It's a gift that's given to us through the blood of Christ. And number two. Abraham, he was justified by grace, not the law. We are justified by grace and not the law. Let's go back to our text, Romans chapter 4, and pick up in verse um, 9. We'll read 9 through 12 together. Paul continues, he says, Now, is this blessing only for the Jews? And remember, he's, he's talking about the gift that Abraham has been given because of his belief in Christ, the righteousness that's been given to Abraham. Or is it also, <clears throat> is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? And, and I know sometimes we struggle as we read because we keep reading the word about circumcised and uncircumcised. 
in his audience in that day that was so very relevant because there were two different people groups that are trying to understand all of this. And he's going to give us a little bit of an explanation of that because what Paul is trying to get everybody to understand is that those two people groups are united as one through the blood of Christ. So that's why we keep hearing the word circumcision and the uncircumcised because in the audience it was critical for them to, to understand and to know that. Uh, moving on in the text, he says, well, We've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Verse 11, circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. How many times did we say the word there? Too many. But let, let's talk about what that means because it was important to Paul's audience, but it's important to us as well. Here, here's, what, here's what Paul is, is trying to get the people to understand and we've, we've talked about this some through what Paul has said. The law, the law was given. The law was given to the people to prepare them for salvation. It was part of God's plan. And here's that, that circumcision that we, we read about just then and, and used that word too many times. Um, it was a symbol of the law. But Abraham's circumcision took place 600 years before the law. So, what, you know, what does, what does all of that mean for us and for him? He was justified before the law that, before the law was given, and here's what it proves. This is what it proves, and what Paul is trying to get his audience to understand is salvation is for everyone. Salvation is for anyone who believes. Salvation is not just for the people that are um, in the, the bloodline, the nation of Israel, but it's also there's a spiritual family that's involved as well by putting faith in Christ. And Abraham did this before the law, before all of the things that, that the Israelites worked so hard to perform. And remember, we talked about that. What Paul was telling him, it was a change of the heart that mattered not a change of the physical body. It wasn't about the outward. It was the inward that mattered. All of the stuff external, all of those things on the outside make no difference. It's what's in here that makes that difference. And Abraham was declared righteous before, before the law, and before the symbol of the law. 
because Abraham was declared righteous in chapter 15. We read that verse. His circumcision took place when he was 99 in chapter 17. So he was made righteous. He was declared righteous before. He was declared righteous. And, and catch this. This is, this is critical to understand for Paul's audience. Abraham was declared righteous when his audience of Jews would have considered Abraham, and, and this is delicate to say because Abraham is a very sacred patriarch um, in the Jewish tradition, but Abraham was a Gentile. It was before the law. And before he had been marked, he was a Gentile in, in, their, in the view of the way things were then. And it's been 14 years. It's been 14 years since God declared him righteous. So that mark on his body had nothing to do with his justification. It was... It was a sign, it was a symbol, it was a, a reminder that he belonged to God and he believed his promise. It had nothing to do, it had nothing to do with his righteousness. God had given him a promise and he would keep it. And, and Joe referenced this for us earlier, uh, Genesis 17, chapter 5. Paul sees this as the fulfillment of the promise and the covenant that God made with Abraham. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. And it established again that, that, that covenant with Abraham to have, to have the bloodline, but also to have... The spiritual family. Ro uh, yeah, Romans 4, verse 16. Um, because this is, this is where Paul is really trying to bring this together for everybody to understand. Like we said just a few minutes ago, Abraham being justified before the law given is given proves that justification, salvation is for all that believe on Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 16, it says, So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we're all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. Again, that spiritual family of true believers and the physical family of the bloodline of Israel, but all who believes. And then that brings us to our last, um, our last point this morning. He, Abraham, was justified by the resurrection power, not human effort. We are justified by the resurrection power, not human effort. And we, we're not going to read all of the verses uh, that are there at the end of Romans 4, uh, just for time, but we'll look at a couple of them in just a second. Here, here's the thing, and this is, this is where Joe had us earlier. For Abraham and for Sarah, they were at the point. God had made the promise. Like Joe said, 75 years old, he moved them. And he made them a promise. 
and now they're 99 years old, and nothing has happened. And again, I can imagine because I know how my brain works, and I'm not comparing myself to Abraham. But, you know, those, those questions, God, you moved us here. Nothing is going on. I believe you. Abraham never wavered in his faith. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Abraham never wavered in his faith because what God promises, he performs. But you've, you've just got to think. There, you know, Abraham is 99 years old. Hasn't seen a son yet. And physically, physically they're past the point, right? 99 years old. You're past the point. Of, of having a child. So what did God do? And, and this is, if there's no other application that you take away this morning, hear this, because what God did in that moment and in that place where Abraham and Sarah were, where they were, had, had no strength left. I mean, literally, 99 years old, no strength left. The point of just, just dead. God performed and kept his promise. And he did the same for us through the resurrection of his son. He promised and he fulfilled. And see, Abraham's faith, this tells you how strong Abraham's faith is. He didn't have the Bible. He didn't have all of these things that he could look at and read and put, well, yeah, okay, I believe, I believe. believe. He's looking forward. Everything Abraham is doing is looking forward. And he believed and he had that, that faith, that strength, and that nail driven in the board. We get to look back. And see all that God has done in all of these lives and know what he's doing in ours and, and look back to see how he fulfilled the promise. But think about for you. Think about for you in your life as a believer and in your life and your walk with Christ and your life when your faith, your faith came alive. There was a point for all of us who've put our faith in Christ that we had to confess like Abraham did. And if we read the text, Ab that's what Abraham confesses to, to God. There's a point that we confessed that we're dead. And there's a point that we confess that we don't have any strength left. And there's a point that we confess, we confess, we say, there's nothing else that I can do. I have nothing left. And what happens when we confess that to God? That's when God goes to work. Just like he did in Abraham's life, that's exactly what he does in our lives. God has to wait. There was a point in all of our lives that God was waiting on us. He has to wait on the sinner. He had to wait on us to say, I can't help myself anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm not strong enough to do this anymore. And at that point of absolute brokenness is when God 
works. And that gospel, the power of God, the power of God unto salvation gets us right. When we are broken to the point that we admit, that's, that's, that's that whole idea of admitting. We admit that we're sinners. We admit that we can't do this anymore. And God goes to work. And, and I don't know each of your personal stories and, and when God changed things in your life, but I can remember mine. At that point, when it was, I was just done. The question wasn't what the heck. He was a whole lot deeper than that, but I knew I couldn't do it anymore. I knew I had lost all of my power, all of my strength. I had spent all of my energy, and everything was about me until that moment. And I said to God, I remember it, I said to God, I can't do this. I need you. I need you to show me. I need you to work. I need you to move. I don't know what to do. And he said... Okay. And changed everything. And that's, that's what he does. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone, because we can get our faith tangled up in a lot of stuff. We really can. We, a lot of us had faith in TCU yesterday, and that let us down. A lot of us have faith in the Cowboys tonight, and they may let us down. But our faith in Jesus Christ alone changes everything because He died for us and He rose again and He gives us a new posture. Think about this. He gives us a new posture, that posture of surrender. It's a posture of surrender because we are to the point that we know that we can't do this alone. We need God and we're leaning in with everything that we have. That's the posture of surrender. We're leaning in with everything that we have. We quit trying to stand up on our own and hold ourselves up. We're leaning in to God alone and then that gives us something to boast about. Not about us. And not about what we've done, but to boast in Christ alone and God's faithfulness and all glory to God because it doesn't matter what I've done because Christ covers me. And we can boast about that because, but in that posture of complete and full surrender, not like a not like a mutual fund, not like where we're trying to hedge our risk and spread our risk out, but put our full faith in God alone. And that sounds risky, but it's worth the risk to say that we're in, all in, all or nothing. That posture of full submission so that he can work and he can move and he can change things. And it's... The statement for us is just like what we see in Abraham and, and the decision that he made. God is the Lord of all, or he's not the Lord at all. And that's where we have to be. That's what our posture has to be. He's the Lord of all, or he's not the Lord at all. Everything. Everything. 
focused on Christ. Everything centered on Christ alone. And I pray that we can say, just like Abraham did, amen. Amen to what we have in the righteousness of Christ poured out on us because of the work of the cross. Because of the work of the cross. Let's pray together. Father, again, this morning we come to you and uh, got a hope for each of us in our hearts. We truly can, we can acknowledge, not just words in our head, but with words of our mouth, we can acknowledge that you are our Lord and the Lord of all. And that God, in, in all of the mess going on around us, when we're asking all of our questions, and God, we're going to walk out of here later uh, this morning and, and ask questions about life. But God, I, I just I pray for all of us that when we're, when we're stumbling around and asking those questions and asking you, what the heck, that you can remind us, you can show us. And God, I, I pray that it really is, it's something as simple as seeing a nail in a wall that for us can be a reminder, a reminder of, of what you did on the cross, but God, also a reminder that our faith in you is that strong, that it's not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. You're with us all the time. You, you're answering, you're working, and you're moving all the time. Even when we want to give up, you're working. So God, give us and show us those reminders, and God, give us just bubble up in us the faith of Abraham to hear your promise and just know and believe and go. So Father, you have your way in all of us. Have your way in all of us. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue to worship together, I'll be in the back of the room this morning. Joe will be back there. If there's anything that we can pray with you, talk with you, uh, we would love to do that. Not because, not because we have it all together, uh, but because we want to pray with you and encourage you in your journey of faith. So let's, let's worship together.